Welcome in, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. And in this episode today, I'm going to be discussing some ideas on meditation, Buddhism, and are we already living in virtual reality? So I think this is going to be a juicy one. It's something I think about a lot. Um, so before we jump into the topic, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to, to subscribe if you're a longtime watcher. Um, if you're listening on Spotify and iTunes, feel free to check out my website, scotttusa.com. Drop me a line there. I love to hear your feedback on the on this content. I love to hear what's, what's uh, working for you, what's not. And if there's topics you'd love to hear me uh, say more about, feel free to also reach out and let me know. Okay, so let's jump into it. So... Um, yeah, big one. And and this isn't a new thing to be talking about. I mean, well, Buddhism for 2,600 years, among other Dharma traditions that are older, have definitely been talking about, you know, how we project uh, our reality. So I think for some of you in uh, these spiritual traditions, or if you're just kind of a casual observer, um, that's not a new thing. But we have this whole new conversation because of the invention of virtual reality through virtual reality technology as well as um i would say like a another psychedelic movement happening in the west that more and more people are asking these kinds of questions of you know i've i've heard this this word simulation thrown around uh, i decided to use it here but it's actually not a word i prefer to use to talk about this issue i, I kind of like just the word virtual reality a little bit more and so I wanted to talk about this, just some Buddhist views, uh, some of my views, um, how I started to think about this in a practical way that, that actually really helps me on a daily basis. And so hopefully, um, yeah, maybe some ideas that could help you in your practice and the way you work with your mind, life, all of it. So as I was alluding to, um, you know, the, the, the wisdom of different Dharma traditions have been talking about... Um, you know, what this question of what is reality for thousands and thousands of years. Um, for those of you who, who listen and watch uh, my podcast often, you'll know, you know, I primarily uh, talk about the Buddhist traditions. And if I'm to get more specific, um, I'm, I'm trained a little bit more in the Tibetan Buddhist lineages. So I'll talk from those perspectives. But there's also different ways to talk about this. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, this word from the Hindu traditions of Maya comes to mind. Uh, Maya can translate as illusion or something like that. We also use it in the Buddhist traditions, but you see the word a little bit less. But anyways, um, so in Buddhism, this is the fundamental premise. This is sort of what the Dharma is built off of, uh, that our suffering takes place. That Well, first of all, that there is suffering and there's varying levels of suffering and that that suffering is not just physical or emotional, it, it goes deeper into even how we relate to pleasure, how we relate to our sense of self, how we even, you know, project a, a dualistic self and other, right? So it goes quite deep, you know, depending how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. And so, <clears throat> so there's lots of different teachings from the Buddha on this. Um, I would say the majority of sutras focus on this and the ones that don't, they are maybe not direct teachings, but they're pointing to this. So a way to think about this is everything points to this fundamental wisdom that reality is not um, dualistic, that this sense of there being a self and other, a separate self, a separate world around us, or another way to say it is, you know, a subject, the self experiencing a world which is objective or an object. This is pretty much uh, seen as a type of confusion 
misperception or illusion uh, within the Buddhist teachings. And, you know, some of us might hear that and take that as an affront. And I understand. I, I, can, I can empathize with that. Um, and some of us, some of us might hear that and, and take that as like, wow, that's that's awesome. That's interesting. I want to go deeper. So whatever your immediate reaction, just notice that, right? Try to be open to some of the ideas here. That's what I recommend. And so here the why is kind of important. You know, I like to usually share a little more detail. So I, I appreciate you patient watchers, listeners, readers out there, because um, I'm not a kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of long-winded. But for me, it's important to present some detail. So the detail here would be that, or the why would be that, you know, if we're, if we're to understand or contextualize the why do we struggle? Why do we constantly push for something and then hit a wall or become dissatisfied or despondent or, you know, experience grosser suffering, physical, emotional pain? But also we're talking about like something, like I was saying, subtler, just a sense of not feeling at ease, like, or maybe we feel at ease for a period of time, but something shifts and then we need to do something else. Um, and this is primarily driven by our thoughts and emotions. If we look at it, you know, it's sort of like, you know, what tells us to get up and do something when we've been sitting all day where we start to feel a kind of malaise or boredom? You know, what is even boredom? Uh, right. So anyways, when we're interested in becoming an explorer of mind, Buddhism just has so much richness to help us with that exploration. I mean, sure, you can do it on your own without listening to anyone, but. I think we, we, I think we get farther together, you know, basically like other humans have, you know, figured some of this out and they're offering tools for us to explore ourselves. I mean, no one can figure it out for us. That's the bad news. But the good news is that, you know, they've, the Buddha or, or, you know, different kinds of practitioners over history have offered lots of commentary and tools and practices to explore the mind. And when we get out of this premise that, the purpose of meditation is for only finding calmness. And I say only because stillness and calmness are important to develop a meditation practice, but they're not the purpose from a Buddhist perspective. The purpose is to understand suffering uh, embedded in the first noble truth through exploring the mind, to see that it has a cause, you guessed it, through exploring the mind, and then to um, eliminate suffering eliminate the root of suffering through the path of practice, through, you guessed it, exploring the mind. And so encountering those tools and using them to practice is, is really helpful because it just saves us time. I mean, I kind of look at the Buddhist path like that. I don't look at it so much more, uh, for me personally, though, however you want to work with it is fine. I don't look at it so much as like it's my religion. It's just my path to work with my mind. And I study it, I practice it also in its, what you might call its religious components, some ritual, mantra, things like that. Also just straight awareness practice, all kinds of things, developing compassion, loving kindness, bodhicitta. You know, it, kind of in Tibetan Buddhism, it's it's a lot, you know, but over the years we, we learn how to integrate it uh, and then grow that, grow the practice from there. But the practice is not to get better practice, obviously. Any kind of practice or tool is to you guessed it, explore the mind to understand the causes of suffering and to remove those causes or remedy of them. So when it really comes down to it, just for the sake of this video to simplify it, 
The root causes are a type of confusion that is misperceiving reality. Um, we call that that fundamental misperception, um, avidya or or marigpa in Tibetan, or, or basically a sense of misknowing or misperception. Sometimes they'll use the word ignorance, but I think this word can be kind of confusing in, in English. So I think misperception, misknowing is a little more clear. And what are we misknowing? We're misknowing that, you know, what are we misperceiving? That's a deep one. But basically, we're misperceiving, like I was saying earlier, um, and we're splitting off into a subject object experience. Now, when we say that, it's not just a thought-based thing we can understand around that. It's it's an actual, it's almost primal, you know, that we have to, you know, get down through the layers of mind uh, the more we cultivate awareness in meditation. But as we penetrate those layers, we really do start to see that. We start to see that fundamental clinging that is splitting off into subject and object. And then, of course, if we pursue that further, we start to see that um, that subject object is an illusion and we start to, un, uh, how do you say, unwind that. And, you know, we have lots of language around this and some of the language is confusing, like, you know, how do you say it? Uh, emptiness is a word that comes to mind. And, you know, we have to study this term. It's a term because people get confused and think it sometimes it means nothingness or, or a void. But that's not what it means. It just means that everything is interdependent. And because everything's interdependent, there is no truly existent subject and object, right? And so then you come to these terms like there's no truly existent self. And then people get confused. Oh, so I'm, I don't exist? No. Like, that's silly. But do you exist? <laughs> right? So, so it, it, it does go down the rabbit hole. And so I'm not saying these things are easy or I'm going to be able to, you know, explain it so you, you know, quote unquote, get it in this video. These things take time. Uh, they take many years just to have a, a, an understanding, but the, but more importantly, it takes practice and most of us many years to, to experience this shift. Because what do we need to do? We need to shift our perspective. So how does this relate to virtual reality? I found, a, uh, you know, I was, I was practicing the other day and this kind of, yes, I do you know, <laughs> get distracted in my practice. And sometimes I come up with, you know, these weird ideas that I write down for, for um, teaching and videos and stuff. I'm not recommending you do that in your practice, but um, it's kind of a fault um, of mine. But anyways, um, but but just some kind of insight or flash came to me that, you know, right now we're kind of seeing this explosion of virtual reality technology, Apple coming into the field with their, you know, very expensive uh, gear, which will probably not be so expensive, you know, in, in, in a few years. <clears throat> but anyways, we can see there's some push here for that. Now, Buddhism would say we're already, we already are in a type of virtual reality um, through what I just shared with you, you know, but I acknowledge through some kind of like sticky, tricky language. But now I'm going to simplify it. Um, so Buddhism would, would say we're already in a type of virtual reality. And, you know, just like we can buy a set of expensive Apple, um, I forget the name, Apple, you know, virtual reality goggles or Meta or, or whatever the company and put them on and enter a kind of another universe. Um, from a Buddhist perspective, our current physical human body and, you know, the, the mind trapped in this human body is... A virtual reality goggle so to speak i call it my virtual reality suit and just sit with that for a moment 
you know what what would that what does that mean to you that your body and you know not your mind necessarily but your mind in the body right now let's just say the human mind seeing through the human uh biology and and physicality and experience what does that mean to you that that's your virtual reality goggle that's your virtual reality suit at the time it kind of hit me quite strongly because i was like wow how am i going to interact with my life moving forward knowing that right that's really the question if we just treat it intellectually it's kind of like fascinating but what if you bring that down into your body a little more experientially what does that mean you know a lot of questions came to my mind <clears throat> of course you know for those of you who have an active meditation practice out there <clears throat> we know we can use mindful awareness to then how do you say it be aware of that virtual reality suit but for many of us you know those of us who don't haven't cultivated that quality of of innate awareness <clears throat> excuse me the the virtual reality suit is um is just us so see here this is one way we can start to understand this and hopefully bring it into experience we are so embedded in our virtual reality suit just like probably at some point i'm sure they're going to make some kind of technology that's going to embed us in some kind of other you know quote unquote universe and it's going to seem like we're really there <clears throat> i put on some virtual reality goggles and it it did mess with my idea of where i was in, in space and time so it's not that far away it's just the visuals and stuff have to get better but anyways um so we're already in this immersive experience you know and we already take this immersive experience to be reality but from a buddhist perspective it's influenced by all of this gear now there's a bit of a predicament here because we can't just take off well you can but i don't advise that uh obviously um we can't just take off this gear this is our life you know and also from a buddhist perspective and i know this isn't uh, necessarily a popular thing you know we have this idea that the mind does not end at death and it will move into another you know so to speak virtual reality suit and we call this samsara right and this will happen endlessly until we wake up that's the premise here and this is why we meditate you know to wake up for the benefit of others to help others also um you know recognize their virtual virtual reality suit so to speak so this is the premise. And so I kind of invite you more into an exploration uh, than some kind of didactic breakdown of this. It's pretty straightforward, you know? We know through basic science that how much uh, um, our, our biology is coloring our world. And we assume then that our world is correct, you know? You know, where a dog or a cat, for example, they, they, their, their sense of sight does not perceive the world the same way we do, right? sure there's things in common um so in a way are other human beings perceiving the world the, the world the same world we are are other human beings having the same perception we are this is a question because i think you know we were we've been talking about the deeper issues so far but i think there's also social implications here where kind of from a buddhist perspective what it's saying is that we're all in our virtual reality suits and those are individual experiences yet we have some kind of consensus around objects in the world and that further confounds things or confuses things because then it seems like we're all sharing this objective world but actually what we're sharing is our personal experience in consensus 
of this illusion or fake reality of an objective world. And so why does this matter? This matters because so much of our behavior, um, our thoughts, ideas, opinions, beliefs, um, identities are all based on this. And, you know, one might ask, well, what's the problem with that? The problem is it inflames um, different kinds of emotional reactions. It, it causes us to get trapped in these emotional reactions. And, you know, even if we're not necessarily causing direct harm to ourselves or another, um, we, we experience subtle levels of pain through this. Now, this is something, you know, you have to explore. Definitely for me, this is true. Uh, I don't want to say it's true for you, but this is my experience. Uh, so, so with that, you know, because all of us are kind of in a way, if we're looking at our lives, we're looking for a way to feel at peace. You know, if we really look at it, we're looking for a way to not experience problems. We're looking for a way to be free. We're looking for ways to, another way to put it, be like be at ease. Yet, you know, in, in the pursuit of that, sometimes we we make ourselves even more or, or, or even less at ease, even less at peace. Uh, we twist ourselves into knots. We cause harm to others. Sometimes we're we're causing harm um, to our collective virtual reality. Right. And just because it's a virtual reality doesn't mean we don't need to take care of it. Right. So often this concept in Buddhism, we 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 put into two categories, convention, conventional truth and absolute truth. But these conventional and absolute truths need to work together, right? Conventional is, is the, the unreal aspect, but if we don't respect the unreal aspect, we can create a real nightmare for ourselves and others, right? I mean, we can look at um, our, our climate emergency as one example, right? Um, but at the same time, if we respect the unreal too much, then we don't know how to be free. We don't know how to be at ease. We don't know how to dance with reality properly. So the whole premise of the Buddhist path is to learn how to dance with these two realities. We don't have to exit the virtual suit. We just have to penetrate its unreality and learn to flow, to open up fluidity, to open up a dance, to be able to work with it um, with more freedom, but also, of course, responsibility for our impact on others around us. And then we can really benefit others. So uh, Buddhism also has this whole other side. It's not just about personal freedom and, and removing suffering. It's how that when we open that box, when, we, when we're basically, when we're unconstricting ourselves from our virtual reality suit, um, then we can really benefit others. It's like if we're able to, you know, let's, say, let's use another example. If there's a collective nightmare happening, Right. Like, let's say we're, we're asleep in a room with a bunch of different people and we're all, we're all having a nightmare, you know, but then we wake up. We can help others with either within their, their nightmare or we can help them to wake, wake up from the nightmare completely. So this is kind of what we're looking at. So anyways, just some thoughts here, um, borrowing from some some modern uh, examples. But Try that. Try this exercise. I've been really enjoying it lately. Just, you know, kind of on a daily basis, I kind of flash back into my 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 mind or awareness. And I, and I just ask this question, um, you know, what's my virtual reality suit projecting right now? And how do I want to work with that? Because the fact that it's projecting that in itself is just the, the, the misperception. But then how we work with the projection, like I was already starting to say, 
That's where the key difference is, because then we can affect that. That's where we actually have agency. So this is like the positive side, just saying it's a projection, projection, projection. Why? Like, what, sure, we need to wake up out of that. But then what can we do? We can affect the projection. We can affect the dreamlike appearance in, in a helpful way for ourselves and others. So I'll leave you with that. You leave you with that positive news. Um, and yeah, let me know your thoughts. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a comment with your thoughts. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes um, or in some other medium, um, yeah, leave me a comment on my website, scotttusa.com. Reach out. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Okay. Thanks so much.